If you will, please take your Bible and look to the book of Jonah. We'll be looking at Jonah chapter 3. And as you do, I would like to thank Dr. Moeller and his staff for the kind invitation to preach today in chapel. And I'd like to thank Dr. York for his introduction and his friendship as well. And I would like to thank those from 9th and O who have come and uh, their support here today. And it's been a great joy to be there. Ann and I are in our 23rd year, I think, at 9th and O. It's easy because I'm in my 23rd year here as well. So um, it's easy to count, but it's been a great joy to be there as well. And it's been a great joy over these years to be here with you. And I appreciate your being here today. Let's begin reading in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. <clears throat> then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, is it good for you to be angry? When God asks questions in the scriptures, it is his way of revealing something about the person or persons to whom he's asking the question. It's also a way that he reveals something about himself. So as we look at this passage this morning and look at the question, is it good for you to be angry? We need to look at what is it that God was revealing 
about Jonah and what was it God was revealing about himself as he asked this question. Ian Duguid wrote these words. He said, Jonah is not so much an example of how we should behave as a picture of how we often do behave. And so what did Jonah's anger at God reveal about Jonah? One is this, I think Jonah's anger at God revealed Jonah's rebellious heart toward God. When you go back to chapter one and verse three, it emphasizes there that Jonah was in rebellion against God. The events in Jonah one attest to this truth. We see that he, is, he has set his mind, not just to flee from Tarshish, but really to flee from God. He doesn't want to be with God. He, is, he has turned his back on God. I'm rejecting you. I don't want anything to do with you. I am going away from you. And so this is something we need to keep in mind. Now, the location of Tarshish is unclear among scholars. Many believe Tarshish was located in the far western end of the Mediterranean. Today, it would be southwest Spain. So Jonah decided to go as far as he could in their known region of the world away from God. And I, I can't help but wonder what he was actually thinking. And uh, what comes to mind is Hall and Oates to me. And I can't go for that. Um, because the words are, I'll do anything that you want me to. Yeah, I'll do almost anything that you want me to, but I can't go for that. No, no can do. I can't go for that. Can't go for that. Can't go for that. Can't go for that. But then I think another song kicked in. And I think Paul Simon's words kind of kick in, 50 ways to leave your lover. Because he says, just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Stan. Don't be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. But I think these lyrics I'm about to give you are more appropriate for Jonah and his situation. Hop on the ship, Skip. Go toward Barcelona, Jonah. Spend some time with a fish on the way to Tarshish, but you're not going to get yourself free. And that was the situation. He wanted to get away from God. He said, I want nothing to do with God. But this is not what God was going to allow him to do. And Jonah's position was either it's my way or the highway. I remember a student several years ago. In fact, this was when I was a, a student myself. But he was getting ready to graduate. He was a friend of mine. We, we were in some classes together. And so I asked him, what, what are you planning to do now that you're graduating? And he says, well, I'm looking for a church, but I'm not looking for just any church. I'm gonna pastor, he said, but it, it just can't be any church. And I said, well, tell me about this. What are you, what are you looking for? And he said, well, it, it must be a church that first of all has the right package. This is actually the first time in my life I'd ever heard the expression package that you've got to have the right package. And so just naively I asked, what do you mean by package? Well, they've got to have the best be the benefits and, and the best salary and it, it has to be all these things. And, and, and I, I said, oh, and he said, and not just that, they, they've got to be mission-minded, they've got to be evangelistic, 
they've got to have enthusiastic, moving worship. And I remember this, he says, and everyone will take notes when I preach. And I thought to myself, where is this church? I wanna pastor that church. I think the Lord's calling me there, I, I, I feel it. And, and so this is what he was looking for. And you see, Jonah had strings attached to God's call upon his life and his obedience to God's call. What about us? Maybe we'll go as long as it's the right kind of people. Maybe we'll go if it's the right kind of place. Maybe we'll go if it's the right kind of package. It must be the right kind of fill in the blank. And that is the string that we have attached to our obedience to God's call upon our lives to do what he's called us to do, to be faithful to him. And what I see with many of us, and I include myself at the top of this list at times, we have turned God into the servant and we have become the master. When we pray to God, we pray to him bringing our to-do list that you need to do this, 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 and this. You need to order this world and my life in particular the way I want it ordered. It's about me. It's about what I want. And God, you are a good God. So if you are a good God, you'll do these things for me. You'll make this work out just the way I want it to work out. And we must learn that he is God and we are not, we must learn that his purpose is much more important than our preferences. And that if he has called us, he has called us to service, that means to be servants of him, to do whatever he's called us to do, wherever it is and however he's called us to do it. As a kid, our church would often sing this song, wherever he leads, I'll go. And that is what we are called to do, to go wherever he calls us to go, to go wherever he leads us to go. And you may be, as you're listening, thinking, well, you don't know what sacrifices I've made just to get here where I am right now. And I don't doubt that you have made significant sacrifices. You could be doing a great many other things besides being here. But let me gently say this, that yesterday's victories are not sufficient for today's challenges and tomorrow's challenges in our lives. It is great you have been obedient to Christ but now we are called to continue to be obedient to Christ and that we are obedient servants to Christ until he takes us home and then we will eternally be perfect in our obedience to Christ. That is what he has called us to. And far too many of us, we act like sacrificing our lives or our, our own preferences or our own desires to do the work that God has called us to do 
we feel like sometimes it's something in the checklist of the Christian list of things we're to do in the Christian life. And so when we get to this list, make a sacrifice <clears throat> for the Lord, we check off that list, uh, that, that po bullet point on the list, and we say, <clears throat> excuse me, we say, we have done it. We have made the sacrifice. Now we can get past that and get on with life as it's supposed to be. No, no. We are to be living sacrifices. It is to be our life unto God, that he has bought us with the price of his precious son's blood. We belong to him and he is Lord. And that's all that needs to be said about the matter. I will go where you want me to go. I'll stay where you want me to stay. I'll do whatever you want me to do to your glory because I belong to you and you are my master, you are my Lord. We forget our savior, <clears throat> he has called us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's interesting, Jesus prayed to his father, I'm willing to die if it's your will. But Jonah, <clears throat> what was his prayer? I'd rather die than to do your will. And that's where he was, this prophet of the Lord. So we see Jonah's anger. It revealed Jonah's rebellious heart toward God. <clears throat> Jonah's anger also revealed a double standard. You say, how so? Well, we can go to 2 Kings chapter 14, and we see Jonah mentioned there. Actually, the Lord, <clears throat> the Lord God called Jonah to deliver a message to the wicked king Jeroboam, Jeroboam II, and to pronounce to him a message that Jeroboam was really glad to receive. Because through Jonah, God told wicked Jeroboam and wicked Israel, I'm gonna give you victories over your enemies <clears throat> and land that has been taken from you, I'm gonna to restore to you. And so this is a message of God's kindness and blessing. And we might say, well, why, why was this? Is it because this wicked King Jeroboam, he finally repented of his sin? No. Well, was it because Israel, the nation, they realized how wicked they had been and they repented of their sin? No. Why? It says in the text, in fact, in 2 Kings 14, 26, that God looked at Israel and saw their affliction was bitter and that they had no one to help them. And so it was God's compassion. It was his care, his goodness to Israel in spite of their rebellion against God that he did these things. And so Jonah, was familiar with this and he was familiar with also historically how God had showed mercy and compassion to Jonah's people Israel. Because we see this in chapter four, verse two, as we just read, here he basically quotes Exodus 34, 
verses six and seven. And he says, God, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. It is ironic that these words were originally spoken by God about himself after the nation of Israel abandoned God at Mount Sinai by taking the precious metals and the valuables that the Lord had blessed them with in Egypt. And they used these things to construct a golden calf and worship this calf and say, behold your God who has brought you up out of Egypt instead of looking to God and patiently waiting on God as he was giving his law to his prophet Moses. No, they weren't doing that. They completely turned away from the God who had miraculously just in the greatest way possible saved his people out of bondage in Egypt. And it didn't take them long to come out of Egypt and the salvation through the Red Sea to bring them to the bottom, the, the, the edge of Mount Sinai and turn away from God and say, we will turn to this golden calf instead. What should God have done? If he were just and gave them what they deserved in that moment, he should have wiped them all out. And he is just, but he's also merciful. He is compassionate. So he did not wipe them all out at that time. But it is interesting that Jonah quotes this passage in his anger about God showing his mercy and compassion to the people of Nineveh when they repented, when God showed this to Jonah's own people, when their sin in many ways was much more egregious than what we see Nineveh doing before God. You say, now, how can you say that? It's one thing to do something in ignorance of what is right. It is another to do wrong when you know what is right. And that's what we see with the people of Israel. He had done so much for them. And yet this is how they responded to his mercy and grace. So he was personally understanding of how God had shown mercy and compassion to Israel. He knew his Bible, he knew his history. He knew that God had done this historically in the past and through the life of Israel. And Jonah experienced personally also in his own life, God's mercy and compassion and goodness. Again, back in Jonah chapter one, it emphasizes how Jonah rejected God. He was seeking to flee God, to get away from God. And you know what God could have done? He could have let Jonah go. Go on, get out of here. I don't need you. He didn't do that though. Brings back a memory when I was about five years old. I told my mom, I had done something wrong. She disciplined me and I said, you are mean and I'm out of here. I'm running away. She said, hold it just a moment. She went out of the room, came back with a suitcase and said, let me help you pack. 
And I'm like, hold the horses here. Wait a minute. We, let's rethink this, okay? And so he, he wants to get away and, and, and he wants nothing to do with God. And God could have said, go on, get out of here. But he didn't. It reminds me of Proverbs 17, 11. It says, a rebellious man seeks only evil, so a cruel messenger will be sent against him. You know, ultimately this is true. But when Jonah, the Lord's servant, rebelled against God and fled, God did not send a cruel messenger such as the death that Jonah deserved because of his rejection and rebellion against God. Instead, God mercifully sent a storm and appointed a great fish to save Jonah's life and to give Jonah the opportunity and privilege to do what God had commanded him to do. Jonah was willing for God to show mercy and compassion and goodness to Jonah's wicked people, Israel. And according to Jonah chapter 2, if you look there, we see that Jonah apparently was very glad that God was willing to show him mercy and compassion and goodness. But Jonah did not want God to show mercy and compassion to the repentant Ninevites. Jonah minimized his own sin and he magnified the sins of others. He thought of himself as spiritually superior. It, it reminds me of Habakkuk. He too was somewhat miffed at God because God wasn't doing things the way he thought he, sh he should be doing them. And finally, the Lord answers him and he says, well, I'm going to send the Chaldeans and they're going to bring about judgment. You want judgment? I'm gonna bring judgment. I'm gonna bring it with the Chaldeans. I love Habakkuk's response. How can you send people who are more wicked than us to do this thing? And there it is. This is how many of us in the church think today about the lost world. It's very chic for us to say we're sinners. I have only once in my lifetime actually run into someone who, would actually, who actually said, I don't sin. But in our circles, Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. That's not the issue for us. The issue for us is we look at others and we say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad a sinner as they are. And it means as we talk about this, it seems to me anyhow that growing up singing a song, Amazing Grace, well, it's not all that amazing because I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not that bad. I mean, yeah, Jesus had to die, but that, not that bad. And how awful of us to minimize the price that was paid, the sacrifice that was made for you and me because of our sin so that we would be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and through that, if we would get a handle on just the depth of our sin and the depth of the price that was paid 
for our sin, it would change our attitude and our thinking towards sinners who are lost and separated from God. There would be a difference in us. We would be looking at them, understanding that they need the same Savior that God so graciously has become to you and me. Grace, not of works, nothing we can point to to say, this is what I've done. I'm better than they are. The only thing good about you and me, if there's anything good about you and me, it's Jesus Christ. And so we need to back off this attitude that Jonah had. They're worse than we are. No, God, you can't do this with them, not with them. I got a kick out of Alistair Begg making this statement. He reminds me he's about the same age as I am and he, uh, he uses a lot of illustrations I relate to. He said he grew up in churches that often sung the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And I did too. And uh, he said that we should change the words though from I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God to I'm surprised you are a part of the family of God. And that's an attitude we must not have. We cannot have. Because the surprising thing is that any of us are a part of the family of God. It is God and his grace and his salvation alone that has done that. Jonah showed his anger. He revealed his anger in his disapproval of God. It's interesting. Again, he quotes Exodus 34, 6 and 7 in verses 2 and 3 in chapter 4. And he says, in order to forestall this, talking about God's relenting of his, his judgment on Nineveh, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning, concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. You know what Jonah was saying? He's saying, God, I know who you are and I don't approve. I don't approve of who you are. That's the problem. It wasn't that he didn't have enough theology. He had enough theology to realize he didn't like what he learned about who God was and what he knew who God was. And we, we see in the scripture in Psalm 115, verse 3, God, our God is in heaven. He does all he pleases. Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And then God himself in Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, through his prophet Isaiah says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher in, than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. The fact that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways is what miffs us and angers us just as much as it did Jonah. Because we want him to think like we think. And we don't realize that deep down, that is idolatry. 
because we want to make God fashioned by our own hands in our image. How many times have you heard someone say, that's not my God, my God's not like that. Does it really matter how you or I define God? He is who he is, whether you approve of him or not. He is not taking his hands and going this way. I hope, I hope they like me. No, he is who he is and he stands as almighty righteous God and we are not. And yet we want so desperately to be and that is at the core of our sin nature. We want to be God and we are not. And it eats away at us. Told a dear friend of mine recently, I was thinking about some of these kinds of things. And it dawned on me that there are times in my life I really don't want the grace of God. You know what I want? I want to not need the grace of God. I want to be better than that. I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I want to be God myself. And that is at the core of our sin nature. And that is wickedness to the nth degree when we think that way. And yet that's who we are in our sin. We wonder what's wrong with God when the truth is there's something very wrong with us. And it is that sin nature that we have. So what does God reveal about himself? Let me go quickly. God reveals he's faithful, he's merciful, he's gracious toward his people. We see this with Jonah. Jonah runs, instead of God saying, just go ahead and take off or killing him, he saves him, he pursues him and he doesn't give up on him. And he continues all the way up to the very last verse and Jonah Chapter four, the last verse in the book, instructing Jonah by his kindness and graciousness and his patience and mercy. So he is a gracious, merciful God. He is a patient God. Jonah was quick to anger. Our God is slow to anger. Praise the Lord that he is. And we see his patience and forbearance with others and we need to thank God that he is this way because he is patient and forbearant with us as well. And the story of Jonah, I think, reveals that God is a saving God. I think the key verse in Jonah is in chapter 2. Salvation is from the Lord. If there is to be salvation, it is the Lord alone who will save. We see acts of God saving the sailors in the ship, Jonah in the great fish, the Ninevites. And yet, we know a prophet greater than Jonah has come. Jonah proclaimed his message and the people of Nineveh were saved. What a wonderful thing. What person wouldn't want to, who is a, a preacher of, of the word, to give an invitation in the whole city come forward and repent of their sin. 
And as astounding as that is, Jesus not only proclaimed a message that leads to salvation, but Jesus alone is our salvation. It is through Christ alone, by faith alone, that we are saved. He is that greater prophet who has come. So is it good for you to be angry with God? That's the question that the Lord raised in verse four here in chapter four. If you go online and books, articles, lots of people tell us that it's good to be angry with God because it's natural. Thought about that. You know, some people are called natural born leaders. Some people are called natural born communicators, natural born athletes, etc. And we can question any of those statements about any person and are they truly accurate? Who knows? But there is one thing that we can be sure of that is quite clear in the scriptures. Every one of us is a natural born sinner. And just because it's natural for us to be angry with God, yes, sin is natural for us, that doesn't make it right. And what we need to do is we need to look at God's mercy and grace and compassion toward us. We need to remember his patience, his faithful commitment toward us. We need to remember how he has graciously, wondrously saved us. And think about all that God has given us. When we go to answer the question, is it good for us to be angry with God? I think of Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So is it good for us to be angry with God? Isn't the answer obvious? The correct answer is obvious when God asked Jonah the question, and it should be obvious to us as well. But just in case it's not, it is never good for the children of God to be angry at God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it reveals in the human heart because it shows us our need for a savior. It shows us, even as your children, our constant need of your mercy and grace and patience and kindness and help. And we thank you, Lord, for your word because you reveal yourself in and through it. And we wonder at the mercy and grace and patience and great salvation that you have wrought on behalf of your people. And we humbly bow before you and repentance, confess 
our rebellious hearts and our desires to have our preferences over your purposes. And we ask for your forgiveness. And we are grateful to know that when we do confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, may it be that we rejoice, that we not miss the joy of the work that you're doing in and through your people and in and through us personally, like Jonah did, but that we would rejoice in the goodness you have shown us to include us in this great work that you called us to, to share the gospel with all peoples and to see many come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray, amen.